Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's podcast is sponsored by Benign Images. Benign Images is a storyteller consulting company. Through meaningful dialogue and guidance, they help storytellers of all kinds to tell the stories that they feel they have a need to tell. Whether it's through simple editor services, consulting, or helping creatives to set up an effective work habit, Benign Images will work with you to help you become a better storyteller. Start your project with them today by visiting their website, benignimages.com. That is benignimages.com. B-E-N-I-G-N images.com. Go check them out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunting you destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got the co-host of the Deprogrammed podcast on Unsafe Space. And this is a lady with a very interesting story, which she's going to be sharing with us here today. And I would like to welcome to the show, Gary Smith. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad I'm glad you can hear me, Zuby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so for anyone who's wondering what that's about, I appeared on the it's the Deprogram. Was it the Deprogrammed? deprogrammed? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was on the Deprogrammed podcast um a couple of weeks ago. And um Carrie was muted and silenced for the entire <laughs> for which the was, entire podcast. So, which I was saying to Zuby, I'm starting to think uh, I'm starting to get paranoid. Like whenever we have tech problems on the podcast, I'm like they're they're coming for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though we have a we have a pretty small audience right now, we're growing though. We're like I say we're small but mighty. But yeah, uh, the mighty but yeah. is the problem. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You can't go against it. Anyway, yo. So Carrie, um, I've done a very quick intro, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I started doing the D program podcast um, with my friend. I guess around about October or so of last year, my friend Carter, and it started with an interview because he has this, he has this platform, Unsafe Space, um, and it started with an interview that he did with me on that channel, and it was about my old ideology. So I used to be what you would call when I call myself an SJW. I know some people say that's pejorative, but I, the only reason I use that word is because I think it's, uh, it's the term that the most, the the largest number of people know what that means. Mm. So I don't have to explain, you know, um, there are other terms, I think like, uh, intersectionalism or, um, identitarianism like that. I actually like the word identitarianism for it because that, I don't think that you could make the case that that's a pejorative, but anyway, I used to be what you would call an SJW for about 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know it was that long? (laughs) 
And I don't think of myself as particularly gullible, but. <laughs> okay. So you were an SJW before SJWs like were a thing. Oh yeah. Okay. See this, this indoctrination started for me, it was in college about 20 years ago. So it's been a, it's been a long time coming. I think it's just become very uh, ramped up and much more mainstream in the past five years. Mm. But okay, I was learning all this stuff a while back. Okay, so so tell us about that. So go back to twenty years. Firstly, what did you what did you study at university? Um, I was a biological anthropology and anatomy major, but I was okay. a women's studies minor. That was yeah. your first mistake. <laughs> that was my first mistake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what my dad said too. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so. He's like, why are you taking, um, I, you know, I was taking porn through a porn through the heterosexist lens and like wow. African dance theory. And he's like, I, why don't you take economics? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's so funny. Um, my, my girlfriend's just finished university and uh, she studied sociology. Before she went to university, I kept joking with her, don't get brainwashed, don't get brainwashed. I'm going to make sure you don't get brainwashed. I'm going to, and I, like, I kept, <laughs> and she, to the point that she started getting annoyed. She was like, what do you mean? Like, why, why, why are you saying this? Cause I was like, mm, sociology, like, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh gosh, like, I don't want her to, you know, within like six months, you know, this relationship won't even work because she's just going to be diametrically opposed to me on everything. It's a valid to concern. Inoculator. Oh, yeah, good, that's, good. that's what I thought. No, it's funny because she gets it now. Like she, she now, she's now like, okay, I understand what what you were worried about. Yeah, because <laughs> she had certain modules which were um a, a little bit strange. So that's great that you inoculate. I think I think that's what we're trying to do with the deep program podcast. Is I want to help explain what my old belief system was or is, um, not just so I can understand it better, but for people who are coming into contact with it or may come into contact with it, or maybe they have kids at college who are coming home and talking to them about toxic masculinity. I, I want to kind of give them some information so they can counter it. Mm. Um, but that's great that you, <laughs> that you helped her. <laughs> you gave her a preview. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have that going in because I was, um, I was kind of leaving behind my, um, I was raised Southern Baptist and okay. pretty, pretty conservative. Um, and I went through, a, a similar, I would say, pretty big transformation in thought um, from the age of like 16 to 19, where I left, I left that belief system behind. Mm. And I decided I no longer believed in God, I was I called myself agnostic. But I what in retrospect, what I did was I replaced, um, I replaced God or I replaced a religion having a, a belief, I replaced it with my political ideology. Mm. And this, it this proves my theory very well. What's your theory? Oh, my my theory is that, um, yeah, the whole SJW intersectional stuff is just a form of a secular religion. And totally. By rooting out, I mean, the way you indoctrinate people in any ideology, a good first step is by removing religion. That's what all the authoritarian regimes have done in the past. They'll first take God out of people's lives, and then it's far easier to replace it with another very strong belief system, which then operates and serves a lot of the same functions that a traditional religion sort of would. And I've noticed in my own, just in my own experience, both online and offline with people who get really obsessed with this type of ideology is that they do tend to be 
non-religious or even anti-religious in the traditional sense. I found that people who are, you know, if someone is a strong Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or, or anything else, then they're far less susceptible to um, super hardcore intersectionality and social justice. It's almost yes. like, yeah, it's like the religion is in that place. So that hole is already filled. Whereas if it's not, I find that a lot of people become religious and fanatical about something else, you know, just to replace that. So that, that's been one of my theories for a while of like, hmm, I think there's a connection there. I completely agree with you. I think it creates a void for something, for yeah. for meaning and purpose. And um, and so people can find meaning and purpose in this belief system or what they think is meaning and purpose. And it does provide um, a kind of... Uh, its own kind of morality mm -hmm. and it gives you a list of it's got doctrine it's got a list of things you should believe and things you should do and but it doesn't have see i'm a recent very recent christian i've come back to god the old me would find that hilarious Good like i go to i go to bible study now on wednesday the old me is like what like all a lot of my sjw friends think i've lost it um, <laughs> no, you, like, found it. you found it you found it right. you lost it 20 years ago you found it i lost it 20 years yeah. ago um but i've come back to that and and i i'm just learning about some things that i didn't because because when i was young when i was a kid it, i didn't you know i didn't get very deep into my religious beliefs um and so what i'm realizing it doesn't have a concept of grace that's one thing it doesn't have and it doesn't have a god mm -hmm. there is no creator um, but there are other similarities like the concept of original sin. It's like mm -hmm. your privilege, but it differs because not everybody's born with the same amount of original sin. And some people don't have original sin. It's like some people don't have privilege and some people do. And so that's a little different. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. I mean, down, down to the community organizing and the chants and the rituals yeah, and very, very specific terminology that's quite impenetrable to somebody who's outside of it and that people kind of signal to each other to let. I mean, even on Twitter, like if someone's got their pronouns in their bio, that is like a signal to other SJWs like, yeah, I'm, one of, I'm on your side. Right. It's not yeah. even like it's it's weird. It's like you can see how they signal to each other online and offline. <laughs> I feel like like over the past few years, because I think probably because I've been on the receiving end of so many like rage mobs like <laughs> I've, I've, I've found certain patterns over the years of like all these people kind of like fit into I'm almost like gosh like why is it, it becomes very predictable like it's weird right like it I'll see weird. I'll see a certain tweet in my mentions that's like very aggressive very hostile towards me making all these weird assumptions and whatever I'll hover over the person's thing pronouns in bio 80% of the time yep this is a thing now is one form of they're continually breaking down identity into these groups, as you know, like the who's privileged and who's marginalized. Mm -hmm. And, and now mental illness has become a, a place where they break this down. And so I see a lot of the times now it'll say like pronouns, they, and them, and then it'll be a string of like, you know, depression, anxiety, OCD, mm -hmm. like all of their mental, because that's their identity. That's part of their identity. It's okay. very weird. It's very weird. Yeah. And in, in the comparison to a normal religion thing, though, I'd say there's one of the things that it also lacks is there's no there's no salvation. True. Right? Like there's no there's no forgiveness. Right? There's no, no. So in a, in a typical religion, you know, it's like, OK, you know, everybody sins and but, you know, you can sin, you can be forgiven. There's salvation in this uh, intersectional SJW world. It seems like 
you're just a heretic, you're an apostate. Like once you're gone, once once you've sinned and you've been you've been taken out, it's like, well, there's no there's no coming back for you. There's no salvation. And even if you are, even if you are privileged, you've got to continuously self-flagellate forever. It doesn't, it doesn't ever end. You've got to forever. keep on if you're white, you you're you're you've got to keep apologizing for being white. You've got to recognize it every day, atone for it, do everything you can. That never ends, you know. And if, if you're, you're male, if you're a male, yeah. man, if you're if you're a male and white and straight, uh oh, you know. So <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the Lucifer figure, right? So, so. <laughs> that's absolutely. That's why I think, um, in my experience, this is just anecdotal, but in my experience, the white straight male SJWs I've known have been the most um, aggressive. What the most aggressive <laughs> and the most kind of terrifying. Because they have to really virtue signal that they're oh, gosh, they're one yeah. of the good ones. Yeah, they have a lot of sins to make up for. So mm. they um the ones I've known anyway have just gone really over the yeah. top. Yeah. Um, Those are the types who have uh co- who call me a white supremacist. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> wish, wish wish if it were not so hilariously ridiculous, it would be like deeply offensive, but I'm just like yeah i did have a man call me a misogynist so you oh, know of course yeah of course <laughs> internalized right internalized yeah i yeah. i know the terminology that's the funny thing it's like I've, I've interacted with so much of this stuff that i can kind of play the game uh which is what i did with my, my viral deadlift video which was which was very funny was so funny no, nobody was really able to combat it because it's like crap he knows he knows our own arguments and terminology and stuff yeah. too, too well to you know and and anything attacking it would be deemed very hypocritical so when did you become so so i was indoctrinated in college and i was a true believer in this mm. belief system for a very long time are you did you ever when did you first become did you come into contact with it and oh oh with um this kind of sjwism mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah when did i first notice it i first started noticing it um in some shape or form 12 years ago in su- in some you know very light version but um that was more just kind of like standard feminism and certain ideas about race and things like that which i'd hear here and there but the first time i heard concepts such as white privilege and male privilege and toxic masculinity and male fragility and all these kind of things i would say that's been in the last five to six years that I started sort of seeing that really happening around the same sort of time that um, lots of this like gender stuff started popping up and becoming a thing and people, you know, it all becoming very subjective and, oh no, it's now gender is now a spectrum and mm-hmm. you can switch between and you can be gender fluid and you can do this and you can do that. And that was, yeah, I'd say kind of in the last five to six years, it seems to have hugely ramped up. Yeah, so that that's that's when I first encountered it, I guess. I I always like to ask that question to people. I think it's I'm really curious about it because it I think of it like a virus, and um, <laughs> and I I'm a big fan of zombie movies and and books and and it it's it's like the first it's like the first part of a zombie movie when people come into contact with something new when they come into and they're and they're slowly you can see them like trying to figure out that they live in this new reality and yeah. they don't quite get it it's like that with this ideology for me i'm like when did you first come into contact with it and how long until you realize what it really was oh <laughs> like, gosh off off the bat the thing with me is i'm not someone who had like a political awakening or anything like that 
right? Like I've never been on the left. So I never mm. had, it's not, I'm not someone who like, okay, I was there and I kind of shifted here. If anything, all that's happened over the years is I've become like a little bit more libertarian. When I was younger, I would think more like, okay, there's this problem. Okay. The government should do something right now. I'm like, government sucks. <laughs> they should do a couple of things and do them really well. And then everything else, like let the market do it, let individuals and community do it, which is why I think that family and community and church and different institutions and charities are super duper important because I don't think that the government should be doing everything and for, for a whole bunch of reasons. There's a bunch of reasons why I think that. So yeah, it's, it's been it's been interesting for me. I mean, the only thing that's happened with me is I've become more outspoken in a public sense. And as I've done that, like my public profile has risen very significantly. So it's weird that, you know, I'm now in this stage, like I'm a professional rapper, but it's weird that, you know, so many people know me for my views and share stuff with me and want to know my views on this and want to know my views on that, where I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not, I don't consider myself like super political. I don't really have huge political ambitions or anything like that. But it's just been interesting how, um, yeah, by speaking out about it, how I've kind of inadvertently become the voice for a lot of people and including people like you said uh, before we were rolling. No, sorry. I was just reading your Medium article mm -hmm. and you said something about um, having like a friend or friends in the entertainment industry who keep quiet, right? Because obviously oh, yeah. entertainment, music, act like it all leans super heavy left. And so people in those industries in particular, like if someone leans conservative or libertarian or whatever, like they do just tend to shut up and kind of keep their head down yeah. i know loads of like closet conservative <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> like i which is hilarious because like i get people that all get phone calls i'll get emails like yeah dude like keep doing what you're doing like like yeah like i, I can't say what you say but yeah like and i'm just like dude like it's very funny but seeing that is what made me like seeing how far all this stuff was going was what made me actually become more outspoken because i was like well if not me then who right yeah. if, if everyone else is quiet and everyone else is hiding away i'm just like look this is what i think this is what i believe this is what i believe it if you want to if you disagree that's completely fine man I, I talk to people who i disagree with all the time um i'm surrounded by them so it's fine but there's i'm not gonna like be ashamed of thinking what i think if you if you know me in per in person i've been talking about this stuff for over 10 years but um it's moved a little bit to the online world yeah now you're just talking about it publicly and yeah. that i mean that really resonates with me because um when you you know you say if not me then who i um i took about six it took about six months for me to get over my fear after my views started changing mm -hmm. um maybe a little longer actually but um i had written no it must have been after the either october or november of 2016 i wrote an I wrote a letter to Jordan Peterson, which is funny. You're the Jordan Peterson of rap, which I, 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 I <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to put my meanings on the map. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but I had started, I'd, I, a couple things happened with me. I'd, uh, I'd gone down this rabbit hole um, in the summer of 2016 of watching videos of Trump supporters being attacked by people on the left, people supposedly on my side. And that just really, emotionally stuck with me um, because it wasn't something I'd been told was happening. And I, I had been told the exact opposite that the Trump supporters were violent. And, you know, I, I just believed it. Like I believed a lot of stuff in my, my echo chamber hmm. um, that happened. And then, and then I saw the way my side um, reacted to the, uh, the police officers in Dallas being 
shot at the Black Lives Matter rally. Mm -hmm. And there were people in my echo chamber that were kind of celebrating it in a Mm -hmm. weird way. Like it, it was this sort of, this just has to happen. People have to die kind of thing, which I, I couldn't, I couldn't get over that. And then, and then I had started reading and, and watching some things outside of my echo chamber, like trying, I was trying to figure out why Trump won after the election. That was one thing I was doing. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. Cause I, I was like, like probably like you saw videos online. I was one of those people sobbing election oh, yeah. night. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I hope I didn't laugh at you at any point. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> when, when I'm feeling down and I want to laugh at something, that's, I, I should go back to that video. Right. And I just watch it on YouTube of like all the um there's this great montage where it's got all the people who are like making the predictions of like, yeah, 98% oh, Hillary, no chance of Trump winning, like people laughing at all this stuff. And then it's got and then it's got the clips from um when they were doing the announcement of the different states. Yeah. And it was like Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think I know which rea- video. Yeah, it's got all about. the reactions. Oh my gosh. I maybe this is maybe this is me being mean, but I think it's one of the funniest things ever. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad that happened. It just it just tore such a hole in the fabric of reality. I think it just yeah, I, I saw it coming. So yeah, see, I didn't, <laughs> it, and yeah. I because I people in my echo chamber did not, and yeah. so I couldn't understand it, and I just became consumed with trying to understand it. But see, that's a no no in SJW circles. Well, I was going to say that's rare. Yeah, it's like you. It is, and I was told I was slapped down several times because I started sharing different types of things and. And I was told, no, it's it's racism and it's sexism, and that's it, period. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make any sense because there are tons of people who voted for Obama who who then voted for Trump. Like, you can't, it doesn't make any sense. So, but yeah, I was on this path, and then and then I I found a Jordan Peterson video because someone in my echo chamber said, you know, look at this transphobe. Go, oh, and I <laughs> I went there <laughs> fully prepared. <laughs> to hate him oh, <laughs> he was a transphobe and then i but it i didn't i didn't come away with that opinion at all i oh, watched no. his video and i was like wait a minute i don't think he's transphobic in have fact you, i don't want to jump in have you seen that recent uh new york times article that just came out about youtube radicalizing people to the right oh yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking i'm like i was like that's you i'm surprised you weren't on there zuby <laughs> i actually oh, yeah, no, I I just Carter and I just taped something about that because I I couldn't I yeah I have a lot of issues with that like he's on there yeah so I wrote Peterson a letter and I I ended up writing him one and he read it on his channel and he wrote me back and he was like you know we were talking about the fear I had and he was like encouraging me to get over that fear but it was another six months until I was over it and I don't know exactly it, I was doing a lot of. Sp- I would say spiritual growth. I was searching for God during that time. I wasn't really, I wasn't really actively like talking to myself, like you need to get over the fear. I was just being, and I was reading more and I was engaging with people outside of my echo chamber. And um, see career wise, I built a career out of SJW ideology. So I represented comedians not exclusively, but for the most part, I represented a lot of SJW comedians, people who shared my same ideology. Mm. And I had worked on, I mean, that was the kind of comedy I sold. Like I I produced um, what I consider to be the first SJW late night show, which was called Totally Biased on FX. And- Honest name. Yeah, honest. Hey, at least we were honest. (laughs) (laughs) Honest with the name. But yeah, we were doing pieces on- um, we were doing pieces on FX about like rape jokes, 
and cultural appropriation. And, you know, we were doing all SJW stuff. Okay. And, um, and so even when my, when my beliefs started changing, I had a pilot in production that was explicitly an SJW <laughs> show. <laughs> and and so where, where, where were you based geographically at this time? Um, I had just moved to Texas from Los Angeles. Okay. So okay. I had just moved here and I was still trying to do what I did before, but I was also grappling with my changing beliefs and, and knowing and understanding that this was going to change everything for me that I couldn't, I could either shut up and be, feel like a fraud mm. and just hate myself or I could just start to speak what I thought to be true and have to change what I did for a living. And so, um, yeah, like six months later, I finally, that's when I wrote that medium piece. Cause I, I had had a lot of people in my world who, who were noticing the things I was sharing on social media were different. And so mm -hmm. that was me trying to explain it to them because I'd already had, like, I had a friend try and do an intervention on me cause other friends were calling her. <laughs> You're like, fascinating to me. I'm just like, I'm just... <laughs> well, yeah, because they're, they were like, what's going on with what's going on with her. And see, I, I understand that. I don't mean to laugh too much at my people who believe what I used to believe, because there are a lot of people in that ideology who are well-intentioned. Oh yeah, And I, I like to try and remember that because there are a lot of people in it who are bad, have bad intent, yeah. but there's a bunch of people in it because they've, bought into it and they they actually sincerely believe that this belief system is the way to um, make the world a better place and mm -hmm. to fight racism and sexism. And, and that's what I find really evil about the ideology is that it's taken people who, it's taken lots of people who do want to end racism, sexism, um, different types of bigotry and prejudice. Mm -hmm. And it's it's manipulated their desire to do that and turn them into puppets for racism and sexism. Yeah. <laughs> and they can't see it. And they can't that, see that, it. That, that, that's the weirdest thing. Like when I, when I talk about this stuff and when I criticize it amongst certain people and it's, it's just amazing. It's like, they just cannot see it. Maybe because, like I said, maybe because I've been on the receiving end of, but to be honest, even before then, like even when I was just standing to the side and just kind of, observing and not really common commentating like it was still really clear to me i was like okay the the good guys and bad guys and the bullies and the people being bullied are not who people seem to think <laughs> like like they are here right that's you know? amazing that uh, you could see that though yeah i could see it. i was seeing it in the uk with the brexit thing um i was seeing it in america with the trump thing and then even like even well beyond that even sorry even well before that i mean there's a lot of people who i've seen be defamed and misrepresented and you know just spoken about in a way that is not actually true and then the way like certain mobs have jumped on them and you know like i've been on twitter for 10 years i've been on twitter since 20 2009 so if you spend a lot of time on there you know you can kind of just observe sometimes you can interact but you can also just observe you can kind of go into the different circles and you can see what people are saying and you know you'll go on someone's profile who in their in their profile bio it says anti-racist male feminist anti-bigotry blah 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 nazis go die and then you'll read their feed and like they've got the most hateful feed right mm -hmm. like <laughs> you'll see you'll see like racism on there you'll see sexism you'll see calls to violence you'll see celebrations of violence against people they don't agree with like you know this person's a nazi that person and i'm just like you're not the 
good guy here. Like the the person the person encouraging violence against their opponent. Like I oppose I oppose identitarianism on both sides very strongly, right? Mm-hmm. And I oppose this SJ. I have never suggested that an SJ like the most raging raging crazy fourth wave feminist super SJW Marxist. I've I've never once remotely suggested that any of these people should be censored, deplatformed, let alone attacked. I can't say everyone has my level of tact in this, but I was seeing the aggression and I still see the aggression coming a lot more from the left side of the political aisle than the right one. Right. And I, I'm, I may be a little bit biased in that. Maybe if I were a raging SJW, I would be getting some a lot more angry tweets from people on the right side. And then, you know, I, I can tell. But from my perspective, someone could argue that, OK, it's equal on both sides. But for me personally, like it's like 95 <laughs> percent for me, oh. for, in my experience, it's been like 95 percent from the side of uh, tolerance and kindness. And, you know, even even the Absolutely. racist attacks, like I've had so many. All the racism I've experienced online has come from the left. Like all wow. of it. That's the wow. thing. Like, like, and and for years, for years, that's the thing. And people, other people don't see it. Like, I'll be talking to even like my uh, you know, my fellow black friends or Asian friends or whatever. Um, and I'll be like, you know, saying certain things, and they're like, Oh, really? Like, I don't know, I don't think that, you know, yeah, but they're nice people. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, it's a facade. And this this is even worse, right? So people assume I agree with them. Because I'm a black. Oh guy, yeah! Oh right? totally. That, 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 this this <laughs> is the thing, which which is like deeply, which I find like deeply insulting and quite racist to begin with, right? I'm not gonna look at you and say, "Oh, you're a white woman, so you believe X, Y, and Z," right? But people will look at me and go, "Oh, well, he's a black guy, so he believes he's oppressed." Like I, I got in. I remember once getting in an argument with someone online, and the guy got angry with me. Um, I got in an argument with a white guy who was trying to convince me that I'm oppressed. <laughs> it was the weirdest argument. And he got like angry. I can't remember what he said. Like he like insulted me in the end. And I was just like, you're literally trying to, because first of all, he assumed I was American. So he said something about like my ancestors being slaves. And like, I'm, you know, my ancestors are Nigerian. I was like, my, my ancestors aren't, weren't slaves, dude. Um, and then he was like, oh, like he obviously realized he'd messed up on that one. Then he said something else. And I was like, no, that's also not that's also not right. Like what you just said. Um, it's and factually then, like, incorrect. Yeah. yeah it's just, I was like, no, that's not right. And then I've never struggled. Like I'm, I'm actually privileged and I'll be the first to say that, right? Like I'm not like, I'm actually privileged, like in the, in the, normal, in the normal sense of the word. Right. I've never been broke. I didn't, I wasn't raised in the ghetto, anything like that. Right. And yeah, it normally ends with them calling me some type of racial slur, which is quite ironic. Isn't that funny that that's what it provokes, though? <laughs> it, is. it brings it out. It's it like really does. there's this racism in the idea that I have to be treated differently because I can't withstand the same type of discussions or and I, I get this as a woman too. Yeah. this sort of um, in if you're talking with an SJW, there's this it's presumed that a woman you know, shouldn't have to do emotional labor, um, shouldn't have to defend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's one of their phrases. You've heard that one, right? I have. Yeah. No, I I often joke that I'm a better feminist than most feminists. (laughs) I I joke, I joke about it. Like it's a half joke, but it's like serious because like I do the opposite of intersectionality in that I don't, or or maybe I go to the extreme of it, which is just Mm -hmm. going back to the individual. You'll never see me like tweet something like, yeah, I stand for, 
LGBT rights or yeah, I stand for women's rights or I'm pro woman or I'm pro because I'm like, what's that even mean? Right. I'm, I'm like, I'm pro human. Right. Yeah. I, I'm like, if you're a human being, I'm going to treat you with uh, respect, with dignity. I expect all the laws to apply the same to everybody. I'm not going to give you super special treatment or like wrap you in. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm talking to a woman on my podcast. Let me let me dumb it down for you. I, I mean, how, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Right. Like that would, yeah. be, that would be like. What did, what's it? What do they call it? Uh, soft bigotry of low expectations? Yes, right? exactly. Or or when people are talking about um, you know, more policy wise things, you know, things like affirmative action and things. It's like, oh, we want to get more women into this thing. Oh, we want to get more black people into this. Let, let's lower the bar. And I'm like, dude, no, like that's not like it's that's condescending. Not, yeah, I'm like that's condescending, right? That's not gonna. It's oh gosh, like it. And it but, reveals it reveals like a very racist and sexist belief about about women and about mm -hmm. black people and about it's like if you actually think that like like i don't want to get anything because i'm a woman no. you want to get I it because you 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 deserve it right i don't want to be denied it because i'm a woman exactly. but i don't want to get it because i'm a woman and exactly. yeah i didn't mean to interrupt you but i just uh th <laughs> this is something i see this all the time too and i just i can't i had a, a friend of mine um we were in business together for a while. We, we were talking to a guy and she asked him to explain something. This is, is a very technical thing about, I don't know, like an app or something we were doing. Mm -hmm. And he explained it. And then he, and then he was like, Oh, I'm sorry. What was I just mansplaining just then? Like he was very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, no, we asked you to explain it to us. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the thing. Cause people, cause people then don't want to, you know, like you, it ends up in these situations where like, you just got people walking on eggshells now. And then as a result of them doing that, they're then almost more likely to be indirectly prejudiced in a weird way. You see what I mean? Because yeah. you've made everyone so obsessed with these concepts of race and, and gender and sexuality and all this that it now becomes, oh, okay, I'm talking to a I'm talking to a gay person. I need to be on high alert to make sure I don't upset them or say anything and it's just like no like they're just as resilient as everybody else so just speak to people normally it's such a simple concept but um i find myself like having to explain it a lot to people which is just bizarre to me it doesn't seem like a step forward it seems like a step backwards it does they rely on it's, it's what you said before you don't have any um you don't have any affinity for the uh, the identitarians on the right or the left and so they they have the same, in some ways, like the same beliefs. It's mm -hmm. just they um, they think that different identity groups should be elevated. And and so um, like like uh, we were looking at New York City schools, um, how they've uh, the Department of Education. They the, this guy I'm gonna I'm blanking on his name, but it was basically a program that they're pushing in elementary schools to teach kids about. Um, about white privilege. I mean, they're teaching them this ideology is what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. And so Carter and I were reading through it point by point and they were teaching about whiteness and how to deconstruct whiteness. And <laughs> I know this is in our schools. And so the things they were associating and teaching were part of whiteness were things like being on time. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> 
being able to, oh my gosh. yeah, being able to finish tests in a oh the time gosh. given, and they um, can't, and they can't see how this. Oh my god. <laughs> this is racist. And we were like, wow. We were like, wow, white supremacists must love this. Oh my they're, gosh. Like, they're like, white people excel at meeting standards, and white people are the only oh people gosh. who can, you know, achieve things on a merit-based scale. Like it just it was yeah. such a racist. I've seen I saw some I've seen something um which had like a list, a list of tools of white supremacy. And on this list were things including logic. Yes, that was on there. <laughs> right? Logic. <laughs> Logic, um, meritocracy. Oh, gosh. Uh, competition, I think. I couldn't tell whether this was like from like a KKK member or this yeah. was from like some... <laughs> Oh, yeah. this was like some radical. Leftist. Oh, you know what, Subi? I think you were looking at uh, if it was recently that you saw that, and it was like um on a whiteboard or a projector, right? The picture. Oh, okay, yeah, I know maybe. The one you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so that's that is what we we went and found the um, material that they're using in that in that um, uh, presentation. We went and found the source material, and we took it apart. So we were we were talking about the same thing. I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah like. Yeah. Logic, competition, um, timeliness. Um. It's, it's so offensive. It's like it's so offensive. It's just, I'm just. It's amazing. Like my mind, my mind just boggles. My mind literally just boggles that someone can like do this and then. Oh gosh, it's and, it's really and, amazing. And and to believe, which they get people to do, to believe that this is how you end racism is just. The further I've gotten away from it, the crazier it looks. <laughs> okay, but see, yeah. when you're in it, when yeah. you're in it, you're like, no, I, <clears throat> I have to go. And as a white ally, oh, there's this whole this stuff about allyship, right? So as a white ally, it's my job to go and preach this to other white people mm -hmm. and explain why this is the way to end racism yeah. because people of color shouldn't be um, forced to do the emotional labor to educate because they're oppressed. And so there's a group, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a hilarious group on Facebook called um, white nonsense roundup. Okay. And they've gotten a lot of mainstream press attention. The mainstream press loves them, of course. And it's a, a group of white people like busybody, SJW busybodies, and you can tag them in a discussion with a friend and they'll come in and tell the other white people <laughs> why they're being racist. This is amazing. <laughs> oh gosh. I might you might have to share that with me. I might have to play around with that a yeah. little bit. Might create my next wonder my next epic troll. <laughs> oh yeah, you should definitely do something with them. Tag them to come help you, but like they're they're not gonna come armed with what you actually want. Oh my gosh, it's they're it's gonna amazing. come armed with the new definition of racism and yeah. yeah. So here here's a question. Let's let's take it way back. I mean, what did you actually learn in that women's studies course? Like you said that university is where you got indoctrinated in your own words, but like what do they what did they actually teach you? As part of the women's studies minor, I also took critical race classes. I took queer theory classes because this is all interconnected. It's all part of one ideology. Um, what they taught me to do was to the best way to view the world and to interpret everything in the world is through a filter of everything is racist or sexist or homophobic um, or transphobic. And so you've got to look for it and be able to find out where it is. So like I took a class on women and religion and the class starts from a, from a conclusion. The conclusion is that the Bible is sexist. 
Now we will take the Bible apart and prove our conclusion. What they're doing is teaching you that the only way, the best way, and the only way to look at the world is as a competition between identity groups. Mm. And that every, that um, you can't be, they, they hate when people say they're colorblind or they hate mm. when people say they don't treat people differently because of race and sex. This is why they try to convince us all that we all have implicit bias because they're like, no, no, sounds none like, of us are colorblind. Like a, sounds, sounds like an <laughs> alt-right training camp. It's totally <laughs> That's why it's so funny because I'm like, it's the same thing. It is the same thing. Yeah, we have to, the most important thing I can do when I meet you, this is what they teach you, is to look at what race you are and what sex you are and treat you differently because of it. And and that's that's actually what they did. I mean, I read a lot of um, uh, postmodernist writers. We read a lot of, see, I didn't realize that what I was learning was a form of Marxism. Mm. And I didn't know, you know why? Because I didn't have enough context from, from school uh, and I went to a science and math school. I went to a school that you had that I had to apply to get into. It was free. It was sta- it was the state paid for it. But for eleventh and twelfth grade, it was supposed to be for the best and brightest in my state. And you go and live there. It's a residential high school. And I didn't have. And I had a great history teacher there, but I didn't have the historical context to know anything about Marxism or communism or no, socialism. They no, they ignore that. They'll teach all the they'll teach all the Nazi stuff and the Holocaust and everything like that. But um, communism, Soviet Union. Cambodia, any of that stuff, it not a peep. And why is that? Because I, I think there's a reason why they don't teach it. Um, I think there's I think there's a couple of reasons. I think the uh, one of the most obvious ones is that in the Second World War, uh, both the UK and USA at some point allied with the Soviet Union. So even at that point in the in World War, there was a lot of hush hush about the bad stuff that was happening in the Soviet Union. It was pre- presented to the population of the UK and the USA in more of a positive light. And so the horrors of the Holocaust and of Nazi Germany, like Germany, Nazi Germany was the enemy, right, of both the UK, all the allies. So that was fine. Whereas um, the Soviet Union helped eventually to defeat Hitler. So the way that, you know, how they say history is written by the victors. So Mm -hmm. in some ways that one of those ideologies and leaders is presented in a certain way and demonized as Hitler and Nazis should be. But most people don't aren't even aware of the fact that more people died under communism than under Nazism. Right. And I, I didn't know this myself until my early 20s when I actually went and like read up on some of this stuff. And I was just like, whoa, how, how did I how did I make it all the way through university without yeah. even being aware of all this stuff? And then, you know, they had the Soviet Union. Then you had um you know, Cambodia, you had Cuba, uh, where else this has been done, you know, it's like, this has happened. So I think that is, I think that's the main factor. I think that's the, that's the main reason. And then I think the second one is just obviously academia has a huge leftist bias. So they want to show the evils of far right ideology, but because far left ideology is closer to a lot of teachers and uh, lecturers and stuff, whether or not they'd admit it, I don't think they want to share it in the same way. I saw a stat there that said, I think it was like 30%. It was pretty high, something, something pretty high. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me, but it, it was a large percentage of uh, professor, university professors in the humanities who self-identified as Marxists. And that's just the ones who are not afraid to say they are. Yeah, that's right. But I think you're right. I think there's, 
I mean, I didn't learn. You say you learned in your early twenties. God bless you. It's I. I didn't learn until my late thirties. Like I'm like trying. I feel like I'm trying to download yeah. all these. You know, a bunch of history and philosophy and um, just things that I shut myself off to because of mm. this ideology. It's yeah. like a. It's like an intellectual prison. I've, I've described it this way before, but it really is. You. You kind of lock yourself. You lock your. Your curiosity away. Um, you're you're not actually thinking mm. you're, you're um you're sorting through information you're sorting through um tenets of the belief system and you're trying to pick the correct things to say mm. you're not actually thinking and so to leave that has just been like I, so how did it, you it's amazing how did you manage to stay in that bubble for so long uh that's a good question a large part of it was online it definitely was because I started after college. Um, I started frequenting a lot of feminist message boards. Mm -hmm. There was one called Chick Click, which doesn't exist anymore. But we, it was supposed to be just a message board for ladies. But we, me and some other feminist SJWs took it over and started. I was preaching. We were converting people. Oh, I was speaking <laughs> the good word. <laughs> okay. I was. This is like twenty years ago. I was teaching people about look, hey. Racism equals prejudice plus power. Okay. Oh gosh, you know? one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Sexism equals prejudice plus power. And I yeah. was like lecturing people on all this stuff that that has now become mainstream. Back then, people thought it was wacky, but we we converted an entire board pretty much. Um, interesting. And I I have printouts. Actually, Card and I were joking. We should we should we should start uh, giving people some of my embarrassing SJW because I said because of course I saved it because I thought this was all brilliant thoughts oh, that I okay, had. Okay. <laughs> Oh, glad you still have it. Yeah, it's so embarrassing. It's like oh, cringe. Wow. But um, but I yeah, I uh after that, the message board, just like with social media, you can you you know, I'm sure you know this, I'm just repeating what people know, but you can really severely limit what you're exposed to. And that's what I did. I had a carefully cultivated echo chamber of people in entertainment, which I worked in, and people in activism. I was really skilled at um working with nonprofits in SJW nonprofits to promote my clients. So I would have the we would have comedians doing stuff for the nonprofits and nonprofits then pushing the comedians when they were on tour or what have you, or when they're on TV show. Mm -hmm. um, so my whole world was like professional SJWs. It, wow. it wasn't the traditional entertainment world. It was, um, it, it was, it was more, I would say uh, SJW journalists and activists. And those are the people I worked with to push my my clients. Um, and so that's all I really saw. And if somebody had a differing opinion, like I had opinions about, I'm sure this is no shocker to people who have have certain ideas about what SJWs are like, but I had opinions about people I had never actually checked out. Yeah. Like I thought Steven Crowder was just a raging bigot, you know? <laughs> and I don't think I'd ever watched anything. <laughs> like Ben wow. Shapiro is the devil, right? Oh, you know, wow. like because they don't they don't ever give you the source material they tell you what to think mm. you're reading things from media matters you're reading things that from Huffington Post that are saying basically like here's what to think about Ben Shapiro that yeah. <laughs> not that but that's what they're saying yeah, yeah. and here's something he said and we're not going to give you the clip the the link to the video so you can watch it yourself we're going to tell you what to think about it so you feel like you've watched it and you're informed now and you can go argue about something that you've never taken the time to investigate on your own yeah so, that's what that world was like. That's fascinating. 
Smile. So this is cool. It's like speaking to like speaking to a real life former SJW. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I, I I do know I I do know a couple in real life. Like not in my close circle because I don't think um I don't think I I don't even know if I'd cast them out. I think they'd cast me out. So uh, yeah uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> right? like, like I'd be quite intrigued to challenge their ideas and uh, ideology, and I think I'd probably do it quite well. But um, what I was gonna say is uh. So would you say it was literally the 2016 election that was the turning point where like a light bulb went on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because uh it was it was leading up to it. It was the the stuff I saw online the summer of 2016, the stuff I saw uh, the violence against people on the right and it just um it was not the narrative that I believed. It was not it, you know, you're being told what to thought what to thought what to think like i said so your thoughts are not your own your opinions are not really your own you're just repeating what your tribe believes and then to be visually confronted with that i just finished reading this book called um uh love your enemies by arthur brooks it's a very good book okay um and he talks about how one story is more important than 10,000 facts mm. and it, nobody confronted me with facts. It wasn't, it, it's not like a, somebody came to me and said, did you know the percentage of Trump supporters being attacked is high? like, it, yeah. there were no statistics involved in, that changed my mind. It, it was something emotional mm. and it was a story and watching with my own eyes, people being um, bloodied. I think more people on the left need to watch that stuff. You may, it may not change your mind. And look, my mind didn't change overnight. I still stayed in that belief system. I just, it was a long journey. It was like, it's been like a three year journey and I'm still moving. I, I believe things now I didn't believe three months ago. <laughs> so like, like, it's like, like, like what? This is embarrassing. I believe that I'm a, I'm a new Christian, right? Mm -hmm. Up until recently, I was sort of, I didn't, I was sort of picking and choosing what parts of the Bible I was paying attention to. And I now believe like I believe sex, sex outside of marriage is immoral. And I don't believe that God wants us to engage in sex outside of marriage. And um, I say embarrassing because, because of where I used to be yeah. um, looking at myself and say, ah, oh, what a prude and what a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but it, that's a recent belief, you know, like my beliefs are still moving. Yeah. And do, do you know what's interesting <laughs> is I think in the current, one thing about the modern Western world in its its current state in terms of social stuff and moral stuff where you can see that I think it's quite clear you can see the degradation and I think one thing I'm noticing is that I do I am seeing a lot of some pretty prominent um, quite vocal atheists and or agnostics coming back to religion and believing in God or at least even if they themselves aren't believing like understanding and appreciating its importance for society. Things becoming so decadent and so subjective. And I'm seeing that, um, yeah, a lot of people seem to be kind of coming back to like, okay, what's the what's the foundation of some of these values and ideas and kind of going back to the source material and being like, okay, you know, maybe religion, maybe I've been a bit harsh on Christianity, you know, maybe yeah. these points are positive. And what I'm finding, I mean, I'm right now I'm going through the process of um, reading the entire Bible and... Um, oh. It's funny. I've, I've I've read like certain parts of the Bible like tons and tons of times, but I've never read it front to back. And I'm doing that. I'm doing that this year. And it's interesting how um, a lot of the ideas and concepts in it that seem very antiquated or outdated and whatnot, 
in the context of the modern world, I think it's quite easy to understand the logic behind them. Yeah. Right? So even like what you just said, so like sex outside of marriage being um, a sin and being and being discouraged, right? Now we live in this, you know, post-sexual revolution. People are just kind of going back to quite animalistic, quite animalistic behaviors yeah. in term in terms of their sex lives and whatever. And it's being encouraged, it's being promoted. And then that has lots of knock-on effects, right? That leads to unplanned pregnancies, which then leads to either, you know, millions of babies being killed via abortion or millions of kids growing up with single parents or not having their fathers present or all these different situations. And it's like, hmm, maybe there was some logic to that concept, yeah. right? It, it, it sounds old school. People like kind of look at you like, oh, whatever when you say it, but it's not something that's kind of just plucked out the sky. Even from a purely logical and rational perspective, you can be like, hmm, okay, you can see why a society may want to, you can of course argue how strictly that thing should be enforced, but you can at least understand what the motive is. And you could be like, well, to be fair, if everybody followed that rule and everybody got married before, it's like, yeah, a lot of those problems wouldn't exist. I mean, and you can, and you can look at, a, I was going to say, you can look at even a microcosm. Like if you look at the, um, the Mormon community, so it's not even like you have to look at the past. You can look at a, a current community that still very much embraces certain values and certain ideas. And you can see, oh, okay, a lot of those problems that exist there don't exist over there. They're happy. They're thriving. They're doing well. They're multiplying. Like the numbers are actually increasing while lots of other numbers are decreasing. And it's like, hmm, maybe there's something behind, you know, people will laugh at them. People will laugh. Ah, look, you know, ah, those prudes, they're, they're crazy. They believe in crazy stuff. You can think that, but they're kind of winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I have a funny, funny uh, fact about my family, I guess. My cousin, I have a cousin who has 19 children. And wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. She um, has a TV show now. It's on a Christian network. It's uh, Up Network. Uh, she used to be on <clears throat> TLC, but now they're on Up. Anyway, it's it's called um it's called Bringing Up Bates. Her old show yeah. was called United Bates of America. But she's she's a uh, Christian conservative. Most likely part of what I would call the quiverful move, movement, where you're supposed to have as many kids as possible. They're, she's homeschooled all of her kids. That's quiver overflowing right there. That's a quiver overflowing, uh, yes. I've, I've, <laughs> seen, I've seen like eight, nine, but like 19. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, she's doing the Lord's work. Wow. Uh, no, but 19, all single births. And see, I used to look at her and wow. as an SJW and just be, you know, just cackle. Like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Look at her and look at and the and the conservative values and these kids are being homeschooled and they're probably not learning. I was so arrogant and I was so judgmental. And now, Zuby, I look at her and I look at all the, of her kids who are getting married and creating their own families. And I'm like, you know what? Her kids are happy and her kids are well adjusted and they may have certain uh, beliefs or certain experiences in their childhood that are different from the norm, or they may be sheltered in certain ways or not know about certain pop culture things or whatever. And they may dress in ways that you find corny, but they're, they're happy yeah. and they're leading productive lives. And I just think about how judgmental I was. Oh. And now I'm like, Oh, I think, I think Kelly Joe had it right. Like, <laughs> like maybe I gotta get started. I'm like 20 years behind. <laughs> Wow, nine! I didn't. That's the most I've ever heard of. She's birthed nineteen children. 
Yes, all single births. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. But so one other quick thing about the what you were saying about some of this stuff seeming logical when you look at modern society. I mean, the thing about sexual sex outside of marriage is I, you don't even have to be take the Bible, take God, take belief, religious belief out of it. Um, scientifically, we, you know, when you have sex with someone, you're you're bonding to them chemically your oxytocin level you're releasing a lot of oxytocin mm -hmm. and especially for women i was going to say especially women yeah especially for i've known so many women who've become emotionally bonded to someone that they probably should not have been bonded to mm -hmm. and then they try and create a relationship with someone because you've got this chemical bonding this connection that's already happened and hey maybe that maybe should have taken maybe we should take a little bit longer to make sure that this is the right person for us for the long term before we start saying, yeah, let me get some of that bonding going on with you. There's a lot of logic behind a lot of the things, which which isn't always obvious, right? On a right. surface level, you might be like, what's the point of that rule? But then, you know, as you as you become older and more mature, you can kind of go back to it. Like I've I've always been a Christian. I've never really like wavered in my faith. But there were certain things, you know, certainly when I was a teenager or in my early 20s, I was like, you know, why is that that way? Or why is that? Or even non-religious stuff, just some of the things that um, I don't know that my my parents would believe in or my parents would say or I'd hear from like older people. And I'd be like, why do they, you know, why do they think that? Even even something as simple as the importance of marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. I went through that stage in my late teens, early 20s where I was like, yeah, it'd be cool to just be just be a bachelor for life. And yeah, I'll just have all these girlfriends. You know what I mean? Right. I'll just have all these girlfriends. And then, you know, like, as I got older, you know, as I got to like 29, 30 or whatever, I was like, that would suck. And also I started and also, no, but also like I started seeing different male lives. Right. So I'd see guys who were in their fifties and sixties who are, you know, even my own parents, right. You know, they've been together, I don't know, 40 years or whatever, but I'd see people who are, I don't know, like in, in that older age level, say like 50 plus, and you'd see the guys single, say with no kids, and then the ones who have like all these kids and they're becoming grandparents and and you're just like, okay, like one of these clearly looks bad. <laughs> like, yeah. Like when you're like, when you're 20, like when you're a 25 year old man, when you're like 22 year old guy, it's just like, yeah, like I'll just do this forever. And then you kind of think like, oh, actually when I'm 60, do I really want to be... You know what I mean? Like, is that, yeah. is that fulfilling? Sidling that... up at the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you see it, right? You see it. Like, you'll go to a bar and that you'll, you will see that old guy who's there, you know, still trying, and you're kind of like, dude, like, may I never be him, you know? Um, and even with my parents now, you know, they've got nine grandkids, you know, I'm, I'm one of five and then uh, all my siblings have kids. So, you know, my parents have nine grandkids now and oh, well. this, the stuff that brings them joy, the stuff that makes them happy, all of their accomplishment, you know, it's really the family is the foremost thing, right? You can hoard all this money, but like, you're going to die. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and then like, yeah, great, the... like what, yeah, what have you done? Like, what's your legacy? It makes a lot more sense than I think young people want to give, give credit right. to, right? They just think, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like this rule. Like, why is that rule there? Why is that rule there? Why is that border there? It's like, there might be a reason, you know, like we've been around for, you know, for thousands and thousands of years, if something has lasted for thousands and thousands of years, there might be not always, but there might be a good reason why it's there. <laughs> yeah. Why is that border there? That's, that's interesting. There's, um, hold on. Let me look behind me. This guy, James K. A. Smith. I went to hear, I was, I've got a book here. I was forgetting his name, but anyway, I went to hear a lecture of his and he was talking about 
St. Augustine and his sort of hedonistic lifestyle before, you know, coming to Christ. And, you know, one of it, I had just been reading about St. Augustine for the first time. And it, one of the quotes that really struck me at the time, because I had just become a Christian and, and I, one of his quotes was like, um, Lord, make me pure, but not just yet. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And that really describes my uh, first half of my first year of Christianity of being uh, yeah, like, okay, funny. I know what you're saying, Lord, but I'm not ready to give up my favorite yeah, sins. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's tough. You know, it's, 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 yeah, no, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a genuine, it's, it's a, it's a genuine struggle, you know, because it's, uh, and I, I think, you know, that's why, that's part of why religion has, you know, all religions have certain rules and laws and guidelines because yeah. I think left to, our own pure animalistic devices, um, it, it, it can go bad pretty quick, right? It can go you know, bad, it, borderless. It can, yeah. It, it can go bad like really quick. Like if you just like, do you really want men to, you know, men or women, but like men especially, do you, do you really want men to just completely act on all of their animalistic desires and impulses? And, and it's like, no, that's going to be, like a really like, like, like you know what I mean? It's just like no, like, like you need you need like laws. You need some kind of like morality. You need some framework that makes people go, yeah. okay, I feel this thing. Or hot girl walks down the street. I'm like, hmm, right. But you know, if I were like a dog or something, like you see dogs, like a dog will be like, hmm, okay, like they run over and they immediately <laughs> start humping anything they find. You know, it's like no, like as a human being, you need to yeah 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 you need certain boundaries, and that's why when people are like, oh, you know, we're just we're just animals and there's nothing special about human beings. And with that, and when it, when it starts going that line, I'm like, okay, so why don't we just act like animals? Why do we even have law? Like there's no rules against murder and theft and rape in the animal kingdom. So if we were just animals, just, I don't know, to me, like some people, like a lot of atheists would argue with, with me on this one, but I'm kind of like, well, what's, what's then the basis? You know what I mean? Like what's the, what's the objective basis for morality, let alone laws, Yeah. Right? Like why, okay, I might think something is right or wrong, but if the other person thinks it's okay, like who kind of sets- Who am I, yeah. Yeah, who sets the boundaries, right? Because you look at other animals, even ones that are relatively close to us, like, you know, chimpanzees or bonobos, and the way they behave is very, very different. You know, there's, there's no laws, there's no real high level morality or anything like that. They'll do whatever as long as it is in their own favor, you see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, or in their tribe's favor, right? So you, you could maybe think like, okay, there's logical reasons may, why you may not want to kill your own family members or tribe members or whatever, but what about, what about, what about foreigners, right? What about other tribes? What about all that? And, and you, see, you see this instinct still play out. You know, we were talking about the political divide and SJWism and whatever, and it's that same instinct. You know, you're not in our tribe, so we need to attack. If you're in our tribe, you're in our tribe. We will yeah. protect you. We will protect you both physically and verbally if you are outside it. You know, like you're like we were talking about people condoning violence. And it, it's the same thing because it's like, well, they're they're not in the tribe. They're, they're putting, evil, they're bad guys. So yeah. They're putting tribalism and they're putting ideology ahead of any universal principles. Yeah, exactly. And ahead of any universal borders, like it, like these things that it mm -hmm. you, you should not want to cross. Um yeah. So, well, that guy was the guy I heard speak. He talked about how there's a, we always think of freedom as being borderless. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know, like freedom, freedom to do what, you know, you're hitting the open road, freedom from things. But he was sort of talking about the uh, freedom within boundaries and, and borders and how boundaries give you a space to get like really creative and to actually um, like, if you think about an artist mm. and th th this postmodernist art, which is just a bunch of crap, like you can, <laughs> you can, you know, now, I, now that I understand what my old ideology was better, I'm like, no wonder I never really understood that art and was like, this is crap. Because part of me deep down knew that <laughs> taking, taking a teddy bear and pulling all the stuffing out and putting it on a pedestal doesn't make it art, you know, like that's not. And so um, if you think of an artist, like actual talent comes from imposed boundaries. You learn the skill first. You learn what things to what you learn method. You learn skill, and then you have the freedom to become incredibly creative within those boundaries. The thing is, as well, I think especially if you are an intelligent and intellectual person, you can kind of justify almost anything rationally. Oh yeah, you see what I mean, right? <laughs> so there's there's tons of stuff that I believe is immoral because of my framework and belief system. But if I were to kind of like imaginarily place myself in outside of my own belief system, I could see how I could engage in all sorts of behaviors, which do not even directly harm other people, by the way, shall I say, but mm -hmm. which would be considered, which I'd consider deeply immoral, right? But I could just engage in all those things. And I know myself, I would be able to like intellectually justify it even to another person. And I think that to me, that's kind of like the danger. Morality is subjective to a degree, but you want it also to be objective to quite a strong degree, right? Because mm. you don't want it to be like murder is bad sometimes, theft is bad right. sometimes, but you know, theft is bad, but oh, rape is bad, but you know, like yeah. cheating, cheating, adultery. Mm, well, what if they don't find out? And, and you, you hear people say that, right? It's like, oh, well, mm. if they don't find out, is it really? Yeah. And, and and that's and that's actually a fair question to me. Objectively, that's just wrong just based on my framework, it's just wrong. But if I didn't have that framework, it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. What if um, a man and a woman are married and I don't know, the guy goes away on vacation and he sleeps with three different women, but, you know, he uses protection. He doesn't impregnate them. His wife doesn't find out what's wrong with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like subjectively, nobody got hurt, right? You could even maybe say, oh, in fact, it was even good for him because he, you know, it made him appreciate his wife more, or it helped him to not feel right. Yeah, right? You, you, you could justify it in all kinds of, in all kinds of ways. And I think you could do, you can do that with quite a lot of things. With a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of becomes to me like, okay, well, what's the immutable thing that we're going to base the moral framework on? Because if that doesn't exist, I don't know. I'm just not convinced that in the long term, like I think in the short term stuff would be okay. Because you still kind of have, even if you remove the foundations of the belief system, the belief system still kind of stays because it's in the people. But after like a couple generations, right, will will that always be there? Will you, you might reach a stage in, I don't know, 200, 300 years where it's just gone completely off the rails. And yeah. people, are, people are just doing things. And, and, and once like a majority of people think that something is potentially okay, I mean, it's slavery, right? There was a time mm -hmm. when a majority of people thought slavery was fine. Yep, and the justifiable. Exactly. And the people who went against it, they were the ones who were considered crazy, right? Because once something becomes a majority position, then combating it does seem crazy. Right. Because it's like, well, everyone else believes in this thing. Like maybe I'm the crazy one for thinking slavery is wrong. You know? Yeah. 
and yeah, it, it's it's weird. It's like in hindsight, you can look back objectively and be like, "Gosh, like how did how did that institution exist for so many thousands of years?" But I don't think it's hard to understand because it's human mentality, and it's the way you know people act, both in individuals and groups, and how people can. I mean, like like you said yourself, you know, for twenty for two decades, you almost kind of ignored the whole this whole other world and whole other world of people and thought and stuff like that. So, and if you're around other people who reinforce it, then. Oh yeah. And you're totally right. You can justify things. And um, that's like human nature without having guidelines, you know, it's, it's uh, and, and, and your friends help you. Friends can help you justify behavior. It becomes like a collective thing where um, I mean, just look at how little we seem to care about lying in, in our culture and, uh, you know, there are certain types of lies we think are okay to tell. It's a white lie, you know, it's a, and I think that I now believe that's a slippery slope to the more you tell the, the more you bend the truth, the easier it is for you to bend the truth. You know, one of the things you said, the Bible is so logical. When I came back to the Bible and started reading again, I was like, you know, I could have saved myself a lot of mistakes and like learning lessons the hard way. Mm. Like, huh, Jesus says, don't lie. Imagine that. The truth will set you free. That phrase is from the Bible. Right. right? Like people say it, but I'm like, that's from the Bible. Like that's a biblical oh, quote. Yeah. yeah. These things that are just kind of like, hmm, maybe there's some wisdom here. That it, like yeah. you don't have to reinvent the wheel by uh, you know, using your life as a, a, a test case for pushing the extremes and figuring out what is a good idea and what's a bad idea. There's yeah. like a blueprint here. <laughs> exactly. That, there, there's this sort of like arrogance amongst a lot of modern Westerners, I think, that wants to just kind of throw away all old school or traditional ideas, like I was kind of saying yeah. before. It's, it's like you think you know better than all of the thousands of ancestors who came before you. Yeah. Uh, you, you think you know so much better than all of them. I'm the complete opposite of this now. I'm closer to um, your, your quiverful friend, <laughs> but um, right, like, not yet, but like ideally, if I had loads of money, I'd love to have tons of kids. But again, I went through this short phase of thinking, oh, like it would be cool not to have kids, right? Oh, I was thinking of like, oh, I'd be able to, I'd have so much money and I'd be able to, you know, I'd be able to do this and that. And then, um, what what made me realize the foolishness was I was actually thinking, this is not even like from a remotely religious perspective. I was just thinking, I am the result of an unbroken chain of reproduction going back <laughs> however long. Right? So right. I'd just be saying all of my ancestors, not just my father, not just my mother, not just my grandparents, all of my ancestors. I'm just like, meh. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm just like, you know what? It ends here. It ends here, man. Like, you know, you know like it's, it's a wrap. A really funny way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. It. And like when I thought about that, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have to have kids because like, <laughs> reproduction ends with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just over that whole genetic that genetic line. Just like done, done. It ends. It ends enough. And I was like, yeah, that's something about that. Just made me feel like. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> awesome, Carrie. It's been, it's been so good to talk to you. I, I, I can talk to you for so many more hours, but um, we have to I, go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got an event to get to. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. I'm You're so very happy welcome. to talk to you finally. Oh, no, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Let people, let the listeners know where they can uh, find you online, follow you on Twitter or anything else you've got. Yeah, you, um, you guys can follow our podcast on YouTube at Unsafe Space. 
and on Twitter, Unsafe Space. And you can find me there at Twitter at um, K-S-E Mamma Jamma. Awesome. We got it. <laughs> so good to have you on the show, Carrie. I'll yeah, you to too. You details matter. And at OZ Lifestyle Brands, they're all about the details. Their selection of men's accessories balance style with substance and quality and craftsmanship, showcasing both classic and casual designs. They also make shopping the easiest it's ever been for you while leaving plenty of change in your pocket for your next adventure. I highly recommend them. They've got some really dope wallets, watches, t-shirts, whole bunch of cool stuff there. If you're a man who's looking to style up their game without blowing the bank, I highly recommend OZ Lifestyle Brands. OZ Lifestyle Brands delivers a unique experience to elevate style for men with ultra discerning tastes. OZ is for men who found their calling but don't need to shout about it. So go check out their full range of products at OZLifestyleBrands.com. That is OZLifestyleBrands.com. To get 20% off your entire first order, just use the code ZUBYMUSIC at checkout for 20% off. That's ZUBYMUSIC at checkout for 20% off at OZLifestyleBrands.com. Go check them out. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.